Thank you for joining us for today's message. We are always encouraged to know how God is using this ministry to change lives. If you have a story you would like to share about how God is working in your life, please send us an email and let us know at impact at jfc.org. Also, if you'd like to support this ministry financially, you can do so online at jfc.org. Click on the Give link and help us bring messages just like this one to you every week. Today's message is from our series, In God We Trust. In this series, we will discover the blessings of God when we align our hearts with His. Welcome all of you to Jubilee Fellowship Church, including all of our campuses, uh, our online campus, those that will be listening in post-productions. Uh, it's a pleasure to be with all of you uh, here today and again at all of our campuses. Uh, I'm DJ. I'm the campus pastor at Castle Rock Campus. And I've got to tell you, um, I was a little bit surprised when Pastor John asked me to share on this particular topic and in this series called In God We Trust. Obviously, it's a series on money and on life. And uh, last time I checked, I'm not a, a business uh, tycoon. I'm not a multimillionaire. Now, I am holding out for a rich uncle, so don't write me off just yet because you know what? You never know what's going to happen. But uh, as of right now, I'm kind of like, okay, I'm not a captain of industry. I'm not, you know, one that could give advice and that type of thing. And in fact, uh, my wife and I kind of uh, looking back at the 20, almost 24 years that we've been married, uh, came from two really different worlds. And you could almost call it, you know, two worlds, one family. You know, if you're a Phil Collins fan and a Tarzan fan, uh, or more like the Clash of the Titans, maybe. I don't know. It was like, it's been a fun 24 years because I was raised as a missionary kid. So my parents were missionaries in Spain. And uh, they, life was kind of about survival and living paycheck to paycheck. My wife was raised in a banker's family, uh, a believing family, loved God, but uh, obviously had experienced a little bit more of maybe some financial blessing uh, in, in, in that sense, and had more of a stewardship mindset or more of a, a more something to steward, if that makes sense. And, you know, <laughs> uh, my father-in-law is one of the hardest working men I know, one of the most generous people I know in this world. So, you know, it's, it's for a reason, but God had blessed them in that way. And so, so they had a different set of, a different mindset, I guess, if you will, about money and, and all that. And so, you know, you kind of put those two together and it was interesting. Sparks flew. Uh, just to give you an example, um, we agreed that we were going to save money the year of engagement where we were actually apart. I was in Oregon going to school and she was in Georgia working and saving up money for our marriage. And so after both of us kind of agreeing to save money, we got to the wedding day and I think my wife brought $3,000 uh, that she had saved up over that year. And it was for furniture and just to help us get established as a couple. And I brought, I'm not kidding here, I brought $20, wait, no, 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 15 because I think I went to Subway on the way to the wedding. <laughs> 15 and change, I got a special deal. But anyway, uh, honestly, I had $20 in my pocket, plus the money that my parents brought from our church in Spain, but that had nothing to do with me. So you kind of get the difference there in the two worlds and the two views on money. Uh, fast forward a little bit after we were married. Uh, one Sunday afternoon, we were driving in Eugene, Oregon, where I was going to school, and uh, I made a sudden turn into a parking lot. She's like, where are you going? I said, well, we're going to Carl's Jr., of course. And she's like, what do you mean? We can't afford Carl's Jr. And of course, back then it would have probably cost like seven or eight bucks, you know, for both of our meals together. Anyway, um, and I'm like, yes, it's Sunday afternoon. We go out to eat. It's after church. We're going out to eat. Well, we can't afford it. The money's not there. But it's Sunday, honey. It's Sunday after church. I mean, I'm raised in a pastor's home. That's just what you do. It doesn't matter if the money's not there. God will provide the money. You go out to eat. She's like, no, let's go have PBJs and Campbell's soup. I'm like, I'm casting demons out of my wife right there. But long story short, it's been a, a 
fun ride and, and sometimes a bumpy ride, if I'm being perfectly honest, in, in bringing together two very different viewpoints on money over the last 24 years. Maybe if you're married or in a relationship or whatnot, you've experienced some of the same thing. There's a lot of different ways to look at this, and I believe that God also has a lot to say about the topic of money. And so even though I'm not an expert when it comes to building a fortune, I believe that God has a word that he wants for his people this weekend, and he's put it on my heart, and I'm excited to share that with you. Um, it's interesting, Jesus actually uh, made a pretty big deal out of money when it came to his teachings. He taught more about this topic of money than just about any other topic. Uh, 16 out of the 38 parables that he gave dealt with managing money or possessions. Uh, if you look at the New Testament, one out of every 10 verses in the New Testament, so that's roughly about 288 verses of the New Testament, deal with the topic of money. Take a step back, look at the entire Bible. There's about 500 verses that deal with prayer, okay? Uh, not even 500 that deal with faith, but there's over 2,000 verses, according to one person's count. I didn't take the time to count them all. Uh, according to one person's count, over 2,000 verses that deal with the idea of money. So I think we can all agree, wow, you know, God makes a fairly big deal out of money. It seems to be an important topic to him. Jesus made a priority and a pretty big deal about teaching on the topic of money. Now, if you're visiting and you haven't normally gone to church, you're like, I knew it, I knew it. It's all about the money. They're just trying to get their hands in my pockets. No, that's not what it's about. But I think we do need to ask ourselves, why was it such a big deal to Jesus? You agree? I mean, if that's such a big topic, more than heaven, more than hell, more than so many other things, it was the idea of money. And I believe it could be one of two things. One is Jesus was an itinerant evangelist and he was raising money for his ministry, right? But I gotta say, if that was the case, he wasn't very good at it. And he was far outpaced by most televangelists today because in Matthew 8, verse 20, it says that the foxes and the birds of the air will have a place to sleep in a nest, and a place to lay down their head, but the Son of Man doesn't even have a place to lay down his head. So he didn't even know where he was spending the night that night. So he wasn't very good if that was his motivation, bringing money into his own ministry. But obviously I'm joking. But what I believe the reason actually was is because I think that the way that we deal with money actually reveals which kingdom we're operating in. The way that we deal, would you agree with that? The way that we deal with our money and our possession and our finances actually reveals which kingdom we're operating in. Now, I want to share two verses with you. One of them is found in your notes there. Philippians 3, verse 17, verses 17 through 20. Tell me if you hear two different kingdoms being spoken of in this passage as I read it, okay? We can read it together. Join together in following my example, brothers and sisters, and just as you have had us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. For as I have often told you before and now tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you see two kingdoms being spoken of in that passage? One kingdom has its mind on what is here and now, on earthly things. One kingdom is, my God is my stomach. Whatever satisfies me, I've got to have it. Give me more of it. I can't get enough. And the other kingdom is one that says our citizenship is in heaven, where we eagerly await a savior. 
to come from. I think it's really clear uh, in that passage. I want to read one other passage. It's not in your notes, but it's Matthew 6, verse 24, and it reads this way. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Wow, it's powerful to think about that word that's used there for despised. You will, you will love the one and despise the other. That word actually means this. To esteem something lightly, seeing it as insignificant or detestable. To treat with contempt or disregard. To devalue, to depreciate, scorn. To pay no regard to it because something seems of no account. Here's what I believe God wants us to know. When Jesus said you can't serve both God and money, one of those things is going to be devalued in our lives. One of those things is going to get despised when it really comes down to it in the way that we live. We can, we can talk the talk, we can say the right things, know the right things, but when it really comes down to it, we are not going to be able to equally value God and money. And so I believe that God wants us to know one of those things is going to get despised. Which one is it going to be? Because see, here we have two kingdoms presented for us. And both of them are at work all around us and in us. Would you agree? The kingdom of God and the kingdom of this world. The kingdom of God and the kingdom or the economy of mammon is what that word actually was. Now, um, I am not one to do, you know, there's things like spiritual mapping where people go into places and, and try to decide, okay, what principalities and powers and demonic spirits are controlling different areas? I'm not saying I don't believe in that. I just have never been one to do that or to really necessarily learn a whole lot about that. But I have thought this over the last 15 years since we moved to Colorado. If there were a demon spirit that tried to keep people under its clutches in Douglas County, if there were a demon spirit that tried to keep people from God's best for their lives and tried to keep people from experiencing freedom and faith and uh, life in the fullest in the kingdom of God, you know what I think it would be? I think it would be the principality or the spirit of self-reliance. Ooh, I'm telling you what, I believe that, and, and well, I won't tell you what political party I'm of, but I'm a, a political party that believes in, hey, people take care of themselves. You know what I'm saying? And, and pull your own weights and get to keep more of your money and stuff like that, okay? So I'm, I, I'm, I want you to know I, I vote that way and, I, and I, that's my personal preference. But when it comes to spiritual things and to really the kingdom of God, I believe that self-reliance can, can be a good thing, but it can go too far where we push God away because we begin to rely on ourselves and on our ability to provide for ourselves, to not need anything from anyone to the point that we don't even need or depend on our Father. And when we do that, it's become an enemy to us. It's an enemy of our soul. And it's keeping us from the relationship of love and faith and interdependence that God is wanting us to experience in our lives. Let me tell you something. Do you know that word mammon? M-A-M-M-O-N is the word that's actually used there in the Greek in that passage in Matthew 6, 24. And what that word means is riches, but when you study the actual word, it actually comes from a Semitic term that could either have roots in Chaldean, which is like Babylonia area, or even in the Hebrew, there's a word in Hebrew that means to trust. 
And some scholars believe that that word literally means that in which we trust. I'm going to say that again. The word mammon, which is used here for money, you cannot serve both God and money or mammon. That word means that in which we trust or the treasure in which we trust. Now, I don't know if you see the irony in that. But here we see that God in his kingdom is saying, I want you as my people, as my sons and daughters, to know that you can trust me. I want you to know that I'm a loving father. We sang about it a moment ago, perhaps. That you're a good, good father and I'm loved by you, right? So God wants us desperately to have a revelation that he wants to be our provider, that he wants to be our source, that he wants to be the father we can count on and depend on and know that he's never going to abandon us. Know that he knows our needs and he cares about those things. And he wants to care for us much better than we would ever even care for ourselves. So that's what the kingdom of God with its ruler God is saying, and then you've got this kingdom of man over here going, no, 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 trust in me. I want to be that in which you trust by the very name of it. It's saying, trust in me. I can give you those things. I will be for you those things. Don't trust in God. Isn't that powerful? It's competing. These two kingdoms are juxtaposed against each other and they're enemies, one of another, and we can't live in both. Here's the deal. Over the years, Cammie and I have uh, tried to obey uh, what the kingdom of God has taught through, through God's word about finances and so forth. And so we've done that in ways like honoring the Lord with our giving, right? And, and you'll, you'll hear more about that in the weeks to come. We've done that by seeking counsel, godly counsel in our lives and recognizing, hey, we don't know a lot about this stuff, so let's find someone who does and let's humble ourselves. One time, someone we respected highly told us, hey, you can't afford this house you're living in. And in our opinion, maybe you should consider downsizing, moving to a different one. We actually did that. We sold that house in downtown Denver. We moved to Arvada, got a duplex. It ended up being for only six months and God opened up something different. But man, it was God provided for us and led us and, and, and all that in some powerful ways. But we've tried to implement those things in our lives. We've tried to uh, uh, stay out of debt. Even when we were in college, I kind of told you the way my wife is wired. So she worked hard, uh, got her PhD, putting hubby through uh, while I was going to school. And uh, so she worked hard and we put, you know, hundreds of dollars every month out of, you know, very meager incomes to, to, to get through my education debt free. We've learned the value of planning, right? And coming together and communicating about things like that. All things that God's word talks about. Now we've got a lot of resources in this church and you'll be hearing about some of those again in the weeks ahead about specific and practical ways that we can obey what God wants when it comes to our resources and our money, which is really his money. But here's the deal. God's not just after obedience. God does want us to obey him, but he's not just after obedience. I believe that God wants much more than that trust in him and obedience. You see, to the person that obeys what God says about money, that's great. That's better than disobeying, absolutely. But I can obey, let's say somebody in Cuba in the last 50 years can obey what Fidel Castro or Raul Castro has said, and they can sort of follow the law, but yet they're doing it, what, out of fear? They're doing it out of, I don't know, I don't want to be punished. They're, doing it. they're not doing it out of trust that they want what's best for me. They're doing it out of, well, I have to do this. I better do this or else I'll get in trouble. And God's saying, I don't want my kids to follow my commands because they're afraid of me because they think they're gonna be in trouble. 
I want my kids to trust me. I want them to have a revelation and an encounter of who I am, that I'm your father, that I care about you, that I want you to live in freedom and in peace. And so that's what I believe God wants us to understand is that it's about trusting in him. Nothing illustrates that better than uh, Abraham in Genesis chapter 22 where uh, God called him and said, Abraham, Abraham, I want you to take your firstborn son, Isaac, or your son Isaac, whom you love, and take him up to Mount Moriah and sacrifice him. Can you imagine? Wow, what? Sacrifice my son? How? And that was the very son of whom God had spoken, hey, it will be through him that your descendants will be reckoned. So it didn't even make sense with what God had already said. But it says that Abraham got up the next morning, took the wood, took the, the, the fire, and took his son and set out a three-day journey to Mount Moriah. And it says that he was willing to lay him there. And as he lay him there on the altar and was getting ready, reached forth for the knife to kill him. God said, stop, Abraham, Abraham, stop. For now I know that you will not withhold anything from me. And do you know what he called God in that place? That was where he said, Jehovah Jireh. The Lord is my provider. The Lord will provide. He found a ram stuck in the thicket and he was able to sacrifice that ram. Talk about a Thanksgiving offering. Woo, thank you, Lord. Thank you, God. But why? It was in the context of complete trust and surrender, not just of his resources, but of the very best and most valuable thing he had, his own son. I believe that God wants us to experience that life with him where we hold nothing back from him and yet where we experience his provision, Jehovah Jireh, in miraculous ways in our life. There's two kingdoms. One is screaming out, trust me, trust me, put your confidence in me, the kingdom of mammon. And the other is saying, no, 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 trust me, I'm your father, I love you. And the way in which we decide to trust is going to determine how we obey what we obey and how we experience the kingdom of God or don't in our lives. Now, you might be asking yourself, okay, how do I know which kingdom I'm in? Well, I believe we can do that by uh, looking at how we satisfy four needs in our lives or how we pursue four values that we have in our lives. And those are very simple. There's the value of power. There's the value of peace. There's the value of success. And there's the value of recognition. And I don't know about you, but I think most of us in this world are seeking to fill those things in our lives in one way or another, right? I think all of us are looking, would you agree those are good things in general? Power is good, right? Uh, Peace is a good thing. Success, yeah, anybody want success? Cool, okay, and recognition, be recognized. Okay, here's the deal. In the world, how does that look? We know how that looks, right? Mammon is saying over here in this kingdom, man, the more you accumulate, the more you control the more power you have, the more political power, the more people will want to know what does DJ think? Oh, wow, okay, we're gonna go with that direction. Oh, what restaurants does he eat at? Okay, well, let's go, let's be like him, you know? And so the more powerful I feel in terms of influencing people. What about peace? Anybody seen the Aflac commercial with a duck doing yoga or whatever, you know? (laughs) Aflac, you know? We have insurance for our insurance. You know what I'm saying? It's like, we don't just have insurance, but we have insurance for whatever our insurance doesn't pay. And, but, but we feel that that's the source of peace, right? It's saying, okay, if I have enough insurance in every part of my life, then, okay, nothing possibly can touch me. And so I can more or less have peace of mind. What about success? Wow, we have certain things that we look at as the measure of success in our lives. Oh, wow, that person, oh, they've, they've done well. They've been successful, right? And we look at what? We look at the amount of money or the amount of control that they have and call that success. 
Recognition. We give those people recognition. Oh, man, well, they pulled up in their whatever car. They're, okay, well, give them the first place, right? And honor them. And I'm not saying let's not honor people. I believe God says honor those to whom honor is due. There's a lot of entrepreneurs that have risked much, that have been wise, that have worked very hard, that deserve honor and respect. And I'm the first one that says I want to respect them. The problem is when we worship that thing. The problem is when we put our trust in that thing, the kingdom of mammon, and play by its rules and follow its laws rather than trusting in the Father, in the kingdom of God, and following its laws. What about how does God say he wants us to fulfill those needs and pursue those values in our lives? Let's look at that for a second. Power. What about Philippians 4, verse 13? Very familiar verse, right? I think Many of us would probably at all of the campuses know Philippians 4, verse 13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, right? Or I can do all things through him who gives me strength, whatever translation. And we quote that and, and it's good that we do and God wants to give power in our lives. But do you know that the context of that in verses 11 through 13, Paul is actually saying, I have learned to be content in any situation, whether I have little or I have much, whether I'm hungry or I'm well-fed, I can do all these things through Christ who strengthens me. You see, God wants his power to be at work in our life, but it might not be just power to control things. It might be power starting with power to be content and to be joyful in whatever he's provided in our lives. That's power, would you agree? What about this? What about peace? Does God want peace for us? You better believe he does. He's got a better plan for peace than this world and the kingdom of mammon could ever give us. In Matthew chapter 6, the next verse after the one we just read, 624, you cannot serve both God and money or God and mammon. He goes right in this way. He starts by saying this, therefore, therefore, right? So we've just established you can't serve both kingdoms. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more important than food and the body more than clothes. Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? Isn't that amazing that God already knows the temptation that we have to worry about stuff? And I don't know about you, but if you're operating in the kingdom of mammon and in the kingdom of this world, I guarantee you, worry is consuming your life. You're worried about, what if I lose my job? What if the economy goes down? What if the price of real estate? What if, where's my 401, 403B, 401K? What's going on? Where's the investment thing? How are we going to retire? What's our life going to be like? What about the kids' education? What about, oh, I didn't get into that college. And there's just worry and fear that's plaguing the body of Christ. That doesn't look at all like what Jesus is talking about, does it? He's saying, hey, therefore, don't worry. Be happy, right? He might not have sung it like that. But, and he's not saying it out of like, oh, don't worry. I don't know why, but just don't. He's, he's saying, no, 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 don't worry. Why? Because you have a father who loves you, who knows you need these things, and he promises to provide. The kingdom of mammon, it promises a lot of stuff. But you know what? In the end, it'll abandon you and leave you cold and empty. Ask those people that lost all their fortunes seven or ten years ago. Enron and all the other companies. that went. Ask them. They put their trust and confidence in this, thinking they were controlling it. And guess what? At the end of the day, it left them empty and high and dry. 
I'm here to tell you, our Father will never do that to you. Things might not always go the way we think or the way we would try to control, but we can trust him. He's trustworthy. And when we trust him, we experience this peace and freedom that only he can provide. What about this? What about success? I want to take you to a quick verse. Uh, Genesis chapter 12 speaks of, I believe, true success. And it was when God was calling Abraham. And it says this, The Lord had said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great. Now see if you see a, a, a sort of a transition here. And you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you I will curse. And then he comes back to that. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Do you see kind of two parts of what God is doing there? He's saying, hey, what's first? I'm going to bless you. That's my father's heart. I want to bless you. I want to care for you. I want to take care of you. But it's not just for you. You will then be a blessing and all nations on earth will be blessed through you. Let me show you Psalm 67 real quick. The first two verses say this. May God be gracious to us and bless us. We see that theme again. And make his face shine on us so that, now when you see so that in scripture, I've started putting a little circle around it because that's kind of one of those like therefore, you know, so that. It's telling us whatever comes next is God's intention. It's God's purpose. It's why he's doing whatever he said he was doing in the first place. So that your ways may be known on earth, your salvation among the nations. And then the last two verses, six and seven, says this, the land yields its harvest. God, our God, blesses us. May God bless us still so that, there's those two words again, all the ends of the earth will fear him. Wow. Talk about success. Not just success. Talk about significance. God is inviting us, church, to come into his kingdom and be a part of what he's doing in the world. And just like he called Abram and told him, I'm going to bless you so that you can be a blessing and all nations be blessed through you. It, the same theme carries on in Psalm 67. May God bless us so that all the nations might know how awesome our God is through our childlike faith, through our ability to say, hey, I don't know how it's going to work out, but I have a father who cares about me and he's not going to let me down. He knows what we need. And my trust and my confidence is in him. It's not in this kingdom over here and what I've accumulated, my confidence is in the Lord. There's such peace that comes from that. What about recognition? Matthew 25, Jesus told the parable about a king who left his country and called three servants in and he gave one five talents, one two and one one. And a talent, according to some, was about 15 years worth of income. So at a, let's say if we chose a salary of $50,000, the guy who got five talents would be about three and three quarter million dollars to invest. The one who got two talents, and again, a salary, yearly salary of $50,000, if we use that, it would be about one and a half million dollars to invest. So they got a considerable sum. They invested it. The one guy we know buried it in the sand and he was reprimanded for that. But the two who were faithful with what God had given them, what did he tell them? Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. You see, I don't think recognition gets any better than when we stand before him on that day and he looks into our eyes and says, well done, well done. 
Well done. You know, these people are here in my kingdom because of what you did. Because you used your finances and looked at that as part of my kingdom, these people have heard. The ends of the earth have seen how great I am. And they are able to experience salvation and redemption and my blessing. Talk about significance. Talk about recognition. That's what I want. I want to go, yes, thank you, Lord. I was a part of that. And God tell me, good job, well done, man. You chose wisely my kingdom. There will be no regrets for those of us who chose to walk in his kingdom when it comes to finances. Here's the deal. God wants us not just to partake of his kingdom and, and make a choice to walk in that for ourselves, but he wants us then to be ambassadors of his kingdom. He wants us to be representatives. And if you think about what an ambassador does, an ambassador basically... Well, I don't know the official job description and I'm not with the State Department, but um, from my sort of layman's perspective, an ambassador is one sent from one kingdom or country to another to represent the homeland, right? An ambassador is not there just to hang out. He's representing or she's representing his or her homeland. What about this? An ambassador is provided for by the sending country, right? They take care of all the ambassador's needs. The ambassador is not judged by the country that he's in, but he's judged by his governing authority and he answers to them. An ambassador doesn't accumulate much. Why? Because he expects to move on or move back to his country one day. And an ambassador brings a piece of his country to the place where he or she goes. I believe that God wants us to be ambassadors of his kingdom by the way that we choose to think about our finances, to truly be walking in that trust in him rather than trusting in mammon in the ways of this world the kingdom of this world and allowing that worry to consume us back when i was uh, about 18 or 19 years old we lived in spain as i mentioned in barcelona and it wasn't an embassy it was a consulate so obviously a, a smaller office but i went uh, to the american consulate to find out some things i liked this Spanish girl, and I was like, oh, maybe I can be a dual citizen, you know, and be able to marry her one day and still keep my American citizenship, and hey, life is good, you know, and, uh, but I went there, and I noticed when I walked in there several things. One is there was a big old American flag when you first walk in. The second thing was air conditioning, which doesn't have anything to do with the message, but I noticed that because they don't have a lot of that in Spain, at least back then they didn't. I'm like, wow, it feels good in here. You know. There was a picture of the president on the wall. And last but not least, they were speaking English, the language that was spoken. And I thought it was, and long story short, it didn't work out for the dual citizenship thing because they were like, well, you can choose to give your allegiance to the country of Spain. And in so doing, you have to renounce the American citizenship. And we might give it back to you out of compassion if you write us a letter and tell us that it was only because of a woman's love that you did it. And I'm like, She's not that good looking, you know. <laughs> if it's okay with you, I'm going to hang on to my American citizenship. And I walked out of there as fast as I could. But the point being this, there was an American flag. And I believe that God, as his ambassadors, wants us to have one clear banner over our lives. And that's the banner of the kingdom of God. That there be no confusion which kingdom we're operating in. There was a picture of the president, of the governing authority. I believe God wants us to have front and center Jesus as our governing authority. And our father as the one who has sent us as ambassadors. Who provides for us as ambassadors. Who has commissioned us to represent him as ambassadors. And who's calling us to not get entangled in the affairs of this world because we are his ambassadors. And last but not least, he wants us to speak the language of his kingdom. 
You see, one of the words actually for citizenship, the one that we read early on, our citizenship is in heaven, can mean community or city or uh, conversation. That word can literally mean conversation. Our conversation is not of this world. It is the conversation of heaven. And I believe just like when I walked into that embassy, there was a different, or that consulate, it was a different language being spoken. And it felt good to be around Americans and hear English being spoken. God wants us to say, hey, this language isn't gonna make any sense to the people in the world that are under this kingdom of mammon. But guess what? To my sons and daughters, hey, I felt like God impressed me to give this. And so I obeyed and I did. That's awesome. We understand the language of the kingdom. Or I don't know how God's gonna provide for this, but I'm trusting him. And so I have joy even before I know how it's going to work out. Yes, you do. I agree with you. That stuff is babbledygook to the world. They're like, are you crazy? What are you talking about? How much is in your bank account? How much insurance do you have? Come on, you should be worried. Be much afraid. No, the language of heaven is, hey, I've got a father who cares for me and who provides. And that can only happen by revelation of the Holy Spirit. As I close with you today, I just believe that God wants us to ask him to shine his light in our hearts. Because I believe that there's a lot of us who have chosen him as our master, as our Lord, as our king, as our father. We're living in relationship with him. But this spirit of mammon and this kingdom of the world has crept in our lives. And it's brought worry. And it's brought fear. And it's brought perhaps even some greed or some misplaced priorities in our lives, or just a way of looking at things that aligns with the way the world sees it, but that isn't the way it works in the kingdom, and it isn't what God rewards, and it doesn't free him to truly be our provider in the way that he wants to be, and to unleash his resources and his blessing, and also calling us into trust in the way that he wants for us to have, where we will truly say, man, I would rather have gone through any of those things to have the trusting relationship with him that I have today. I believe God wants us to ask him and he wants to expose some of those things in our life. Why? Not to condemn us, not to shame us, but to set us free. To set us free from a spirit of self-reliance. To set us free from a spirit that, that worries and, and frets into a spirit that trusts and believes and obeys. A lot of unhappiness comes when we try to live in both worlds with one foot in each kingdom and we're frustrated. We don't understand why is, this doesn't seem to work. And it's not, I don't have joy and I don't have peace. But I'm, it's because oftentimes we have one foot in each kingdom and we haven't gone all in with God. I believe God's calling us, church, to say, would you come all in with me? Would you trust me like you've never trusted me? Would you, would you just fall into my arms of mercy and grace and provision and direction in your life and commit to just trusting and obeying and see what I will do? And I believe he wants to prove himself to us in powerful ways. Matthew 13, there's that parable of the sower. And Jesus was saying, hey, a man went out and sowed seed. And some fell on the path and some fell among the rocks and some fell among thorns. And yet some fell on the good soil. And the one that fell among the thorns, he said, hey, you know what? That, they asked, the disciples asked him what that was referring to. And he said, well, it's those who hear the word of God and receive it initially but he uses these words, the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of wealth come in and choke it and kill the seed so that it cannot bear fruit. Church, I'm here to encourage you. God wants to kill those thorns in our lives. 
He wants to expose those lies of the enemy, those suppositions that come from a kingdom of mammon, the kingdom of this world. He wants to set us free to see finances the way that he views them for his kingdom, for his glory, and as a way of bringing us closer into a relationship of trust with him. Then if we will say, yes, God, do that in me, Lord, he will truly set us free. Let's pray together. Father, I just thank you for your presence here and for your word, your life-giving word. God, I thank you that you love us so much that when the enemy has tried to strangle your life in us through the deceitfulness of wealth and through the cares of this life, you refuse to sit by and allow us to live on in frustration and fear and confusion. But you want to shine your light. You want to bring your freedom. You want to establish your peace. You want to cultivate obedience. And most of all, bring us into a place of trusting you where true joy abounds and true worship of you abounds. Because like Abraham, from that day forward, he had a lot of stuff, but nothing had him. He still, you blessed him and you multiplied possessions, but none of it had him because he had withheld nothing from you. God, I pray that you would shine your light in my heart and I pray that you would shine your light in each and every one of us who is agreeing with this prayer, who would say, yes, Lord, I want to bring myself or my family, if I have one, out of the kingdom of mammon and truly into the kingdom of the Lord most high. And I want to live in that place, obey and trust and experience your peace, your power in my life. God, your significance as I partner with you in this world and ultimately your recognition to hear you say, well done, good and faithful servant. God, do your work in us. Let us participate with you like we never have before and grow to know you in a richer way. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Pastor Jesus.